This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're having a yarn with Bill Ferguson. Bill is a fourth-generation producer who runs Dunedin Pastoral, a company located at Trangy, which owns and manages Horrigan Park and Warrawee. These two farms primarily produce dryland crops and irrigated cropping. And amongst it all, Bill in his overtime has been working on automating many of his farming practices. In this episode, Bill shares with us the exciting opportunities he sees for new technologies in agriculture and how recently this has taken the shape of trialling modified machinery, which can autonomously spray his paddocks. You'll also hear Bill discuss how his ultimate goal is to improve efficiency and how he's working to find a perfect balance between his valuable farm labour and new age automations. Local Land Services cropping advisor Tim Bartemote sat down with Bill over a cuppa to see what the future of farming might look like. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. Today I'm out here with Bill Ferguson talking about Dunedin Pastoral. How are you going today, Bill? I'm good, thanks, Tim, and thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So what is Dunedin Pastoral? Can you tell me a bit about your operation? So Dunedin Pastoral is... um, it has been in my family basically since land was given out by the government back in the 18, late 1800s. It was originally Fairfield Grange Merino Stud and we took it over, Lucy and I, in 1995 and started Dunedin Pastoral Company and slowly but surely we got rid of stock and we converted to cotton and dry land farming. That's where we're still at today. You're right. So whereabouts are you located? There is two parcels of land still out there at the moment. There is a property known as Horrigan Park, which is 10 kilometres to the slightly southwest of Trangy. And then there is Warrawee, where the primary cotton growing is done. It is about 45 kilometres to the southwest of Trangy. You're right. So a little bit of a, a spread there. How have you found the last couple of seasons so far? Well, if we could just keep getting the, the last three seasons, if we could just keep getting those, then farming would be very, very easy. So we've had an absolute dream run the last three years. Last year was more challenging towards the end as it got really, really wet, planting cotton and those kinds of things. But have a full burrandong and have full profiles, yes, you've got to be pretty blessed compared to the three previous years where we had no burrandong, no subsoil moisture. So, yes, so farming is good when it's wet. And so with the cotton in particular, is the, I know it's been a bit later season. Have you been getting close to picking yet or are you still defoliating? No, still defoliating. Cotton's going to be very challenging this year. It's going to be well below average in yield. Price is going to hopefully um, pick up the slack there because the pricing was quite good earlier on. It's not so good now, but back when we started growing the crop, that we got some good forward sales away. So pricing will hopefully pick up the slack for yield this year. And so mainly heavier soils, you know, a bit of red, a bit of black. What kind of soils do you find at your places out there? So mainly we grow the cotton on the black ground because of its um, clay cracking and swelling 
type country. We have a mixture of both red and red loam clay, quite good water holding capabilities. If it drains when it's wet, I classify it as pretty good. If it doesn't, that's when you have problems. Generally, you've got to have well-draining soils. That's great. So you've had a long family history in the area, fairly productive country and a dream run the last couple of years. So things are looking up. Things are looking up. Agriculture is its just so evolving. If you thought when I first started in 94 to where we are today, the change that we've seen in that short period of time in, you know, what, 29 years, it's just extraordinary how much change we've seen from tractors where we sit there and time machines and now we're on discs and we're on auto steer and the evolution of farming is so exciting. It's a great industry to be in. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I guess one of the main reasons we're out here today is to talk about some of those changes in agriculture, particularly in technology. What is your approach to adopting new technology on farms? I think it's like any business. If you're not growing and looking for alternatives and looking to improve your business, you're standing still or you're going to go backwards one or the other. Because over the last 30 to 40 years, our costs are continually rising. Our commodities just don't go up at the same rate as our cost to. So the way we've stayed in the game is through efficiencies, through efficiency, through machinery, efficiencies through better yields, better water harvesting. And that evolution has been growing, you know, since zero till and controlled traffic started. And now it's continuing into a new phase into um, autonomous machinery. So as we know, a lot of agriculture now is relied on people driving machinery and it's getting harder and harder. The machinery is getting more and more advanced. You need more skills to operate it. And finding that required labour we need is getting harder and harder. And we can't expand our businesses unless you have that labour or autonomous machinery comes in to replace the labour. So essentially technology in your business is a key driver in improving efficiency overall? Efficiency and growth. It's a combination of both. So can you give me an example of some of the latest technology you've been utilising on farm? So we've been with Spray Barn in Dubbo and they have been developing a autonomous gator with a camera spayer mounted to it. It's like anything that's new. It has its challenges, it's learning, but I think if this technology can be put on a gator and made autonomous and then it can be put on tractors and then it can be put on spray rigs and it can be put on whatever machinery you require to drive with a memory to be able to go round trees, stay in boundaries, all the things that are required, then I think it's the next step. It'll be when it becomes readily available at a realistic price, it'll be as big a jump as GPS was in agriculture 20 years ago. It'll be that big. So you're seeing initial investment now will get you ahead of the game so that when it finally, you think, comes in, you'll be right on top of it? I believe so, yeah. I believe so because the efficiencies of doing stuff on time in the right conditions are crucial to a successful farming operation. So when I say that, I mean by getting your crops in on time, getting your crops sprayed on time, all these things with the weather becoming more and more variable timing becomes a bigger issue. So if you haven't got really good staff and they can't work 24 hours when autonomous machinery can, I see it as a massive step up. So can you walk me through a bit of the story of how you went from hearing about this technology and what that process has been like in adjusting and trialling till now? So I started through Spray Brown in Dubbo with Dan and 
it's been a slow, sometimes frustrating for me because I keep thinking it's there but it's actually not, the technology to be able to be repeatable and to do it. I don't know the ins and outs of it, of what is required for the the programming of the computers and all that requirement. I don't understand any of that really. I don't need to. But what I do know is that when they do get it ready, and I'm happy for them to trial it on my place, but when it does work, I want to be one of the first to be able to stick my hand up and say, yeah, I want this technology. I want it as soon as I can get it so that I can just improve my business. It'll improve my efficiencies. It'll improve my timing. It'll take away the headspace of dealing with staff, which can be a very difficult problem, as a lot of people know. Because there's kind of a couple of thoughts when it comes to adoption of technology that I've come across in my line of work. And it's almost like, yeah, like yourself, are really keen to get on something new that has a lot of potential. And so they're willing to invest that time early. And then you have another kind of people who think that, well, there's a lot of teething issues to work through, a lot of mucking around. I'm, I prefer to jump on when it's sorted. So what do you think is the benefit of not waiting? I can see both sides. So if I hadn't been given the opportunity, I would be that second person. But because I was offered this opportunity, realistically, you get to demonstrate all and you get a discount because you're getting it done out there and certain things. So you're getting some of it done early and you're probably going to get a better rate getting into the machinery itself. It's an offset. You're giving up time, but you're getting a discount. If you wait, you're going to buy the product that's ready to go, but you're going to pay more for it. So I was given the opportunity. If I hadn't been given the opportunity, I would have been that second person, yes. So what are you hoping to achieve with this technology? It's called SenseBrave from what I understand. In an ideal world, what would it look like on your farm? Ideally, what I'd like to see, which would be very exciting, I would like to see it all the fields mapped out so this piece of machinery knows each time it goes in there where it's been, what it's doing, what rate it's planning at, what chemical it's putting on, what the wind directions are, what. So it would be sensing all the things we're doing manually now and it would be doing it autonomously. So I would have an app on my phone that I would be checking on it, what it's doing, where the levels are up to, how much fuel's in it, and you'd be programming it. So you would be servicing it every six hours or every 12 hours to do the job that you're doing with manual labour now. So that's where I would like to see it. So it would be in a tractor, it would be in a spray rig, it would be in an air seater, it would be in whatever we required that we drive manually now to go to autonomous. That is the long-term goal. So instead of having someone sit in there for hours and hours and hours, and it's hard to get people interested in doing that, I guess, as well. Like not many people want to sit in a cab. And so I guess if you eliminate that, then there's a lot of opportunity to get those efficiencies and also get greater diversity in who you employ, I guess. You might need a robotic engineer maybe in the future. Your job will change, your roles will change, but what it would allow you to do, instead of a man sitting there for 12 hours doing 200 hectares, this machine can go for 24 hours and do 400 hectares. So suddenly that one piece of machinery can do double what one man could do. So if that enables you to go from planting 200 hectares to 400 hectares in the same 24-hour period, there's no reason why you couldn't have double-sized farm. Having multiple machines, yeah. And so I know there's like there's opportunity already to do some sort of leasing arrangement and there's also potential to buy actual units and why would you go one way or the other, you think? So it's all going to come down to pricing. So there's some great things with leasing. The technology's moving so fast, it's going to get better and better and this it, is a very new space. So... Leasing, I think, would be preferably upfront, but it's got to be you've, the same thing is you have to have the area to justify the price 
of the lease. So it all comes down to numbers at the other end. So, you know, if you can afford to buy one and go contracting and pay it off that way, then it might work. If you just lease one and you have enough area on your own farm to do it, then you might go that way. That's going to come down to an individual area of, and your own, your own farms basically. So where do you see opportunities for automation on farm in the future? If you have a farm and you're a single operator and you don't have any family members that are interested in farm and you want to grow, you want to keep expanding, you want to grow that farm without having staff, this technology will enable you to do it and it will enable you to continue to grow more and more area with less staff or with virtually no staff. It'll still have its challenges. They just will be different. Instead of dealing with human factors, you'll be dealing with technology factors, which sometimes can be just as frustrating. However, the opportunities for expansion are unlimited. You can replicate this on a farm at Dubbo. You can replicate it on a farm at Trangy. You can replicate it on a farm at Warren. You can buy a farm at Condoblin and you can replicate all these farms so one man can then suddenly travel, plane, however he wants to get there, car, to operate all these farms with autonomous technology. If that becomes an option down the track, then the limitations are endless. Imagining that and I'm... I guess I'm seeing there's still a necessity for keeping up with inputs and that sort of thing, making sure everything's running smoothly. I guess logistical work will become more important and I don't know how many people you need to do that in the future. So you still need the logistical. So you've still got to receive the fertiliser and grade the wheat and you've still got to put the wheat into the bins. But you're not having three and four blokes just driving the machinery round the clock to keep it going. And you're not dealing with blokes getting tired and making mistakes and stuff like that. If there's a problem with the technology, it just stops. They have to have the monitoring on your phone. So when it stops, we have that technology now with irrigation equipment. So when a pivot stops, we get a text to say we've stopped. For whatever reason, we go and look and find out. So with this automation, you're going to have say, well, on your phone, it's going to tell you when it's low on fuel. It's going to tell you when it's low on seed. And this is where the technology's got to get. So it is a fair way off yet, but it will come. And so is that the main limiting factor when it comes to adoption of these new ideas is essentially where it's up to in development or do you think there's other limitations? It's quite scary, this stuff. There's so much that can be done with it but then there's so much can go wrong with it and there's so little from a, like we're not engineers, we're not, I have no understanding of all how this is going to work and if a spark plug goes on a motor, we can go and get a spark plug and find a spark. We can fix it. We are not going to be able to fix this stuff. We are not going to be able to know where to go, what to do. We're completely relying on backup support. But also in saying that, a lot of machinery is now like that anyway. Like the John Deere reps, the Case reps, the New Holland reps, they all come out with a computer to diagnose a problem in any high-tech machinery now. So it's going to be an evolvement from that. So it's also going to be how this machinery is built in and it's going to evolve through trial and error and all these sorts of things, how quickly they find those faults. But, yeah, I think hardware and technology is easier to deal with than the human factor. You could actually do a contract with a... uh, a, Computer specialist. A computer specialist (laughs) that knows this stuff. So when there's a... You might do a contract with them say, right, if this machine stopped more than an hour, you're going to be there to try and work it out why it's not going and get it going. I can give you the details on my phone or hopefully you'll have a phone, you'll have telemetry where you can look at it, see what it's going on and fix it remotely. I mean, that kind of stuff is coming now. So 
it just depends how this technology is developed. So potentially it could be fixed remotely. So what other examples of automation do you have on your farm? Do you have anything in the irrigation space? So we have a lot of um, so pivots, our irrigation systems. We have watering systems. We have water meters. We are probably not far off automating our bankless irrigation system. The more automated, the more checking, the more apps we need to see what's going on. The roles are changing, yes, definitely. Yeah, because I, I remember coming across probably or would have been like eight years ago down at Griffith looking at some bankless irrigation mm. automated and the guy, the producer at the time was just like, oh, yeah, it's just here on my phone. Here we go. Look, I just opened the gate, just closed it. And so you've been using that for a little while now. I've been using it on my pivots and lateral irrigation. I'm reluctant to go to my bank list too soon for that exact reason we were talking about before. I think it's still refining and it's still improving. I also like the idea of being in the crop. I'm a big one. Your crop checking is so critical. So when you've got to open and close the door in the bankless, it takes you to the crop so you will see something because it's another, as I was saying before, there's a checking process that needs to happen with crop monitoring. Well, thanks, Bill. That's been really insightful. It's good to hear from a producer their experience with this, you know, cutting-edge technology and excited to see where it ends up and how it progresses on your place. But thanks for your time. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much for having me, Tim. It's uh it is a very exciting space. I think it's going to be a very challenging space, but it will be interesting to see how quickly it gets there and what sort of cost savings are going to there and what are going to be the expenses to it. So, you know, it's, uh, it'll be something we'll be following uh, very, very closely and I'm, I'm very excited about it. And thank you again for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.